if, if what you have is led by God, and it is, then how do you do it a second time? And if you can figure out and pray about that, he might show you how to do it a third time. If you can figure out how to do it a third time, you may get to preach four times. At that point, you're going to be begging God for a bigger room. <laughs> but this is what God's work is about. God's work is about souls. And while we say, well, it's not about numbers, the truth is when you read the book of Acts, it is about numbers. The first day he said there were 3,000 who were baptized into Jesus Christ. And then it said he continued to add day to day. And as you read through Acts, he keeps, Luke keeps very precise track for us about what God is doing. And as you look around the room today, Bishop, and, and all of the elders of the church, you, you see that God has given, he's entrusting you. And so the question I have is, and it's not an easy answer, but how do you do it a second time? And uh, because I think that I think there are, there are people in our community who need this, and, and it needs to get outside of this of these walls. I want to read with you three passages of scripture uh, in order to set the uh, stage for the word this morning. The first one is in Hebrews chapter thirteen. We're going to begin with verse number seven. So we'll be in Hebrews, then we'll be in First Timothy, and we'll be in. 1st Thessalonians. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. You'll remember that Hebrews is written to uh, Christians who were thinking about giving up. They were losing confidence in whether it was, it was worth suffering for their faith. And Hebrews is, is all about trying to remind them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is it, whatever they're going through, if they'll just hang on a little while longer, that he's going to come through. Now, at the end of Hebrews, he begins to, to sort of wrap up this, this letter. And we begin in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of, uh, of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the, high, the most high play, holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go to him, to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Therefore, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer a, to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account 
obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. It's Hebrews. Let's go to 1 Timothy. You're going to want to keep your marker in Hebrews. We're going to work backwards through these passages. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 17 through 20. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. And do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless... It is brought by two or three witnesses, those who sin, that is those who are leaders, those are elders, who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. Finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. Written to the church in Thessalonica. He's giving some final instructions to the church there. And we begin in chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live at peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Pray that God will bless the reading from His Word as we, we have a lot to unpack. Um, since I only get to come so often, I may just preach for as though there are two services. <laughs> when we read the Word of God, if we allow it, it gives us perspective that we cannot have without it. Part of the problem with reading the Word of God is this, part of the, not problem, but the struggle, is that I read it through my own experience, and through only what I know. I want to remind you that the scriptures we just read were written within the first 60 years of the life of Jesus Christ. You see, for the first 300 years, the church, the body of Christ, the one that Jesus said to Peter Upon this confession that I am the Christ, the Son of God, I am the Messiah, I am going to build my church. The word he used was ecclesia. It means gathering or called out. It was a common word. This gathering of people that I am going to build is going to be my gathering for a particular purpose, called out on a mission. 
They're going to be people who are mission-minded. And therefore, the church for the first 300 years was, was messy. But then again today, is the church not? And probably because, well, you're here. Well, I'm here. And I know we can dress it up and clean it up, but we all have lives. For the first 300 years, the church pretty much met in homes. They, 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 would, they, they, would, they would have uh, informal meetings after a, after a common meal. They would sing some hymns together. They would read some of the scripture of the Old Testament. Remember, the very first sermon preached by Peter, the, the, the text he used was from the prophet Joel. Now imagine if I had you open to the, the book of Joel. Some of you would wonder if there really was a book in your Bible called Joel. That's where the text was in the very first sermon. And they would have communion together. And they would, they would talk theology together. And, and that's how it went. But something happened about 300 years into the church that changed the way you and I view church and when we read the Word of God. And here's what happened. Constantine, the emperor, who would be the emperor, legalized Christianity. You see, up until that point, there was quite a bit of persecution for those of us who called on Jesus Christ as, as Lord, as emperor, because they said in the early days, in the early years, there, we have no emperor and no king except Jesus Christ. And so there were pockets of people who were, who were persecuted for that faith. So along came Constantine, and he legalized the church. And along with that, through time, over time, we, we got a different concept of church. And so today when you talk to people and you ask, well, what, what is church to you? You will have a lot of different concepts. One of the main the ways that the word church is used today is a location. But biblically, it knows of no such thing. Church is a location. For others, it's, it's an activity that I do. I go to a place, a location, and I do church. And pastors, uh, ministers are, are guilty of this as well because we speak in terms, and we may be speaking from one platform, but, but communicating something completely different. Like, why didn't we have church today? But when the reason I'm telling you all of this is because when we read from, from Hebrews or from 1 Timothy or from 1 Thessalonians, it is speaking within the first 300 years. It's talking to a group of people who are not, who are not organized the way we're organized. It was speaking to a group of people where the congregation were not spectators. And so what happened over time is a, a German word came into play, the word Kirch, which in, interestingly enough means a location or a building where worship is done, whether it's Christian or pagan, is irrelevant. And so through time, with the legalization of the church, we had our rights. And what we know today, what we know today about God building His church is can be something other than what God intended it to be. God did not intend for us to build something on a location. He intended us to build something called the ecclesia, the called out, the gathering. He said, I will build my gathering of people who have purpose. So when I speak to you over the next few minutes, I'm talking to you as the church. 
If I could come out into this room and I could touch each one of you, I could say, you didn't go to church. You are the church. When you showed up, the church showed up. The church didn't start when the music started. The church began whenever, whenever you accepted Christ as Lord. Whenever you made a determination you were going to follow Jesus Christ, you became a part of church. And wherever you go, you are church. And on Monday morning, you may be in your boss's office or you may be the boss, but you're having church. You may not be singing the, the songs we were singing just now. You may, we had communion earlier this morning together. You may not be doing that, but you're the church. My point is this. You, you, can't, you can't point a finger and say, well, that church out there is messy. No, 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 no. You are the church. So when you read the Word of God, it sometimes it's just a matter of perspective. It's trying to get high enough. Lord, help us to see from a perspective that you see. And when he writes this scripture, he's not writing it for Sunday morning. He's writing it to the church for life. And when you read the word of God, I know that you're taught the word of God here. I know that your elders and, and the bishop preach the word of God, study the word of God, and want nothing more than to please God according to his word. But when you read it, you realize it says some things that will catch you off guard. What I'd like to do over the next few minutes is sort, of, is sort of talk about this new perspective. By the way, did any of you see the uh, free fall from the stratosphere that Felix Baumgartner did, did, did? How many of you saw that free fall? It, okay. Did you not? He's, for those of you who don't know about Felix, Felix is, is he Finnish? Is he he's Australian or is he from Austria? There you go. And uh, he's, he's just sort of a daredevil, but he has a parachute on. He's in a space suit. They put him in a little capsule, and they put an a, a air balloon on this thing. And he, this man went 24 miles from the earth, 24 miles. And the only way for him to get back to earth was to jump. Now, how many of you saw this? Did it make you nervous? You got to go out. You have to Google this. You, have, you must. Oh, yeah, I'm going to Google that right now. Now, not now. If you Google it right now, it's a sin. It's a sin. But you have to get his perspective because it's the same man. Because he has. <laughs> okay, maybe it's not. But, but, but you'll wonder if it is. So you have cameras inside this little capsule, and you, you wonder to yourself, why is he going up and doing this? When the door opens, you see the door open like this, and he's going to step out on a little platform that's about the size of a skateboard. When you look down from the perspective that he has, he's in the stratosphere. So you see the entire curve of the earth, and the only way down is to jump. Now, there's a couple of questions I have. One has to do with insanity. <laughs> but the other question I have is, how brilliant. This man put himself into position so that all he had to do was let the natural things that God has put into place take over, and now we know the man's name. He put himself into a position where all he needed to do was, now that he had this perspective, he just simply leaned forward, 
He didn't jump. Where are you going to jump? He just fell forward, and gravity took over. I was amazed by that. He had perspective that I pray to the Lord I never have. <laughs> just praise God for cameras and Google. Because I hope I'm never there. Because if I, you know, I get up real high. I have a two-story house. And if I have to clean out the gutters up there, well, I, I send my son up there. Because that's what children are for. And, and so I send my son up. Could you clean those gutters out? Thank the Lord. I'll give you $2. And then, you know what I'm talking about. But that's, that's a matter of perspective. But here's what happens as you walk as you walk through gaining this new perspective of the Scripture, it can cause you to feel vulnerable because when you begin to think about, in particular, the church, the body of Christ, with new eyes and fresh eyes, it causes you to feel exposed and vulnerable because it, it's not what I've always known. And as I move from congregation to congregation, I look out here and I say, thank God for what God is doing in each one of your lives. And, and, and then yet I know that one congregation worships one way and another worships another. And I say, we need perspective on the body of, of Christ. Now we're here today because, because God, I think, has, has done amazing things with you. But anyone in this room who's a leader, and particularly I'm going to show you what it feels like to lead as bishop or as, the, as your eldership, the, the group of men, as you guys minister and you lead and you oversee, you're, you feel exposed a lot of times, don't you? You, you kind of get out there and you say, well, now we're in new territory. We're in new territory, and I don't know. But the truth is, all of you out there who are parents, you know as well as I do that, that it takes a lot of nerve to step out and to stand up when everybody says, well, I don't know if you're right about that, but you're the parent. I have two slides, uh, two pictures I want to show you. I want to show you a slide where, where, where they're uh, leaning up against a wall. See if you can bring that up here. Um, go, to the, go to the other one. You're at the second one there. Okay. This is, uh, for those of you who like trails and hiking and all of that, this is in Moab, Utah. Moab, Utah was settled by Mormons many, many, many years ago, and it was named after the plains of Moab where the Israelites camped just before they went over into the promised land. And the reason that, that, they, that, that I've made this correlation is because... Um, in a book that I've been working on, it dawned on me that in order for Israel to move forward in faith, it meant completely trusting God. Moving forward in faith is scary when, you're, when, you, when you don't have all the things to lean on. Now, out here in Moab, Utah, a lot of people, thousands of people every year go to hike. These trails are 50, 100, 200, 300 feet high, and it's okay. You see how wide the path is? It's okay as long as you have something to lean against. You see, Whenever we're leading forward, as long as everything's familiar and I have something to lean up against, then I, I feel confident. Now, in leadership in a church, it could be that as long as brother so-and-so is here or sister so-and-so is here, then I feel confident. Or it may be as long as we don't do something out of order, then I feel confident. It may, it may be as a parent that, that you have been parenting one way for so long. You've been leading one way, but now you see things from a new perspective and you're going to need to change. As long as nothing changes, you're able to lean into that and, and you feel okay. But... The problem with leadership, the struggle with leadership, and I'm talking about leaders who, from parents to presidents, and certainly including all the elders, which I consider the most important work on the earth. 
is overseeing the body of Christ. Let's show the next picture. Exposure's the problem. When you see this trail out across the middle, that is an actual trail. It's a, the path is a little bit wider than the rest, uh, than, than the other paths. The problem is what? There's nothing to lean on. Now, my friend who took these pictures um, got to this trail, and on this particular day, the wind was blowing. And when he got to this trail, what you don't see from here is underneath, when you see the trail, it, there is a rock bridge. There's a hole under it, so the wind blows beneath you, and it blows over you. And here you are on this path, and what happens is, the only thing that changes is, you now have nothing to lean against. The question is, do you really want to walk this direction? Or did you only want to go this way as long as it was in your comfort zone? As long as nothing changed. Are you, are you with me? But when your perspective changes and you are convinced God is leading you a particular way or you have an insight as a leader, it could be as a business owner, you say, I have a new insight. It's going, you're going to feel exposed because now the possibility of failure rises. You see, for the children of Israel it was, if we cross over this Jordan River, we're committing ourselves. So what happens as you walk forward is you begin to feel something changes. What changes? Something inside of you. You've ever, you have you ever had fear? Your heart begins to race. You begin to sweat. You begin, you're, you're not in trouble yet. And suddenly your knees kind of give out. And what you want to do and what my friend did is he sat down. And he said, I was determined to go on this trail. So what did he do? Hands and knees. Hands and knees. Now watch. 20 miles away, there's a hiking shop. He stopped on his way, on his way back to his hotel. He was explaining to the shop owner what he had experienced. And the shop owner said, I know exactly where you were. He said, really? He said, oh, yeah. When I was there, he said, there was a 30-mile-an-hour wind blowing. He said, there's not a chance in the world I was going to walk across that trail. He said, well, Greg said, well, me either. And he said, I just sat down. He said, yes, I know exactly where you sat down. And you know what that place is called? He said, what? He said, it's called Chicken Rock. <laughs> because it's the point in time where everybody's marching to Zion. Everybody's singing God's praises. Everybody's talking about how, how we're leading and how we're moving forward. Until you get to Chicken Rock. Until it's time to move forward. And then what happens, and I'm not saying this is all bad. But what happens is you fall to your knees. And I will tell you this as leaders, as elders, bishop, in the church, whether you, I don't care what you're leading, at what level, what you're leading in your homes, it's not all a bad thing when you're sensing exposure and it takes you to your knees. Because then you know that you're moving in a direction that unless God blesses it, you will not be successful. You see, it's easy for us to, to talk about what God is doing, but we're doing it. But you take a step out, and there's no wall to lean on. And it brings you to your knees. And it's humbling. And what God's Word does for us is gives us perspective. It just gives us perspective. I don't know your heart. And, and brothers, your wife doesn't really know your heart either. It just seems like she does. And the elders don't know your heart. 
But the Word of God has a way of giving perspective. It has a way of getting down inside of us because the Word of God is living, it is active, and it begins to divide and cut and slice. And, 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 and it gives you a perspective of life, which is a perspective of church. You cannot separate church from life. That's a modern thing. If you can separate your convictions about Jesus Christ from the way you live, you need to get out on chicken rock. You're leaning on stuff that just is not gonna is not gonna last. Let me do this real quickly, if I could. Whenever you read from 1 Thessalonians 5, there are five groups of people that are talked about here. And I want to tell you these because I want to give you a perspective of what it means to be the body of Christ. And when I talk about body of Christ, I'm talking about all of the body of Christ, and specifically the congregation called Faith Dome. For those of you who are visiting today, uh, I am too. I was talking to a lady this morning and asked her if she was a member here. She said, uh, well, she's going through some membership classes with uh, Pastor Robert, who's uh, teaching those. And uh, if, you're not, if you've not said, hey, I want to be a part of what's happening right here, uh, run, don't walk. Ask when, how, how, can, how can I serve? You're the church. If you're saved, you're the church. If you're not saved, you need to ask. Yes. Because this is not a game, and it, this is not a club. This is the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of his church. But there's five people mentioned here. Uh, the first one in verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Number one, there's the group that I call the very important people, the VIPs. It doesn't mean that everybody's not important. Everybody's important. But I'm just, just stay with me. These are people who work hard among you. There, it's not just bishop. It's not just the elders. There are people who work hard among you. and how, These are the people you, sh, you need to respect them. You need to respect them. They do the work. These are people who actively support the, the ministry financially. Even Jesus had the, the, the people who supported him financially. They are leaders. There are some people who aren't up front at all leaders, but they work hard among you. These people are people who are consistent, they are dependable, and they support leaders. You need, to, you need to respect these people, and you need to spend time to respect them and honor these valuable people, which is why I think it's a good thing today that we not only lift up Christ, but we lift up the importance of the work that the elders have been given to do in this place. The second group of people. Now, we're talking about real life. Verse 14 we urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle. We, uh, second group of people. These are people who are timid. I'll get down here to the idle people in a minute. These are people who are timid, but they're teachable. You have people in the church who are not like me out there with everything, just out there. But they are, they're timid, but they're very teachable. You know what we ought to do with people like that in the church? We ought to encourage them. These people have full potential to do the work. They are growing. They can be leaders with just a little bit of training. They're willing to sacrifice in order to grow. They're capable of being apprenticed in ministry. We just need to spend time encouraging and teaching this group of people in the church. Not everybody's the same. We'd like for everybody to be the same, but not everybody is the same. 
The third group of people that he mentions here in verse 14 are people who are very nice people. He talks about everyone else. You, you have a group of people in the church that are just, they're not leaders, and they're really not all that consider, but they're nice people. Now, I know that's none of you, but there's, you're nice, but you, maybe you're following the same category, the first two categories. But you have a group that are very nice people. He says you ought to be patient with them. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm running out of, of that particular commodity. These people, very nice people in your church who are part of the body of Christ, will avoid the work. They're not willing to go out of their comfort zone. They will say they would do work as long as it is within their comfort zone. As soon as the lid closes on their comfort zone, they're not in. They give very little money to the ministry. Can I say these things here? And they'll fill up space with crisis. But they're nice. They're so nice. You need to be patient with them. Keep a relationship with them. Because here's what happens with nice people. Eventually, crisis shows up. And they're going to come to you. You need to be patient with them. There's another group that's a part of every body of Christ. And I call them the very hurting people. These are people that Scripture here refers to as weak. These are people who have needs. They often will bring a lot of baggage with them, but they're willing to work on their issues. They respond to wholeness, meaning they they want their life to be whole. They're not coming looking for a handout. We need to help them. And it's no shame to need help. We need to provide help through resources that we have or counseling in in order to bring order and healing. Even when I... uh, when at, through my pastoring work, I, I have had a rule that I would not counsel somebody more than once because uh, I believe that in order to speak into people's lives in a very bold fashion, I needed to either, either be a prophet or a, or a counselor. And if I counsel people, they thought I got my sermon material from them, <laughs> which is not the case. And so I would have men or women who I would trust to do counseling Uh, both on a professional level as well as uh, just amongst the brothers and sisters. You know, older women teaching the younger women. Older men teach the younger men. Things like that. So so you set them up for for success. Now, this fifth category, I I don't know if you're going to appreciate this too much, but I call this, he refers to those who are idle. I call them the very draining people. There are people in in every congregation who are idle, and they're draining. You ought to warn them. They are the work. They will suck leadership dry. I knew this perspective was going to make everybody nervous. But I liken some people in the body of Christ to a vacuum cleaner. When I see them coming, I'm thinking they're going to plug into me and I will have no energy left when they leave. (laughs) Dear God. You know, have you seen a canister vacuum cleaner? You know that I'm telling How many of you know I'm telling the truth? You have people like this in your office. You have people like this at work. You may be married to this person. But what happens is when you see them coming, you know they have a hose and they're looking for somewhere to plug in. And you hear this, this vacuous sucking sound just drawing your brains out of you. You know what I'm saying? It's not that they're horrible. It's that they drain you. And every time they come to you, 
You're so burdened in the soul. What I will tell you this, they, they, they will give you every excuse for why they're not progressing. They don't honor boundaries. They'll call you at 2 in the morning. I, when I, get, I learned pretty early on, as the church began to grow, I would get calls at 2 in the morning, and it was always a crisis situation. I asked this very calmly, when did this begin? When did this, when did this, this is two in the morning. When did this start? Because you just woke me up. I love you, but it's good I'm not in the same room with you right now. When did this start? And they'll say, well, you know, it's been kind of going on for a couple weeks now. You should hang up the phone and call me tomorrow. That's what you should do. Are you in fear for your life? Oh, no. Are you in, hey, listen, hope comes in the morning. <laughs> These are draining people. We're, we're laughing, but I'm trying to, to tell you the burden of leadership. If you don't deal with the reality, you will begin to think ministry is to give in to everybody who wants to be draining, everybody who has a problem. Everybody. And the truth of the matter is love everybody, love everybody, love everybody. But there are people among the body of Christ who are idle. They don't honor boundaries, and you just test them. You warn them. You test them to see if they're going to get help. You always offer help, but you set the boundaries, very clear boundaries. Let's work backwards. Go to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy, <clears throat> chapter 5. He talks about recognizing your church leaders, and he talks about those who direct the affairs of the church well. Verse 17, we already read it. There's no need to read through it again. But he says, those who direct the affairs of the church well, those whose work is preaching and teaching, I think he's speaking about pastors in general. Uh, teaching was a task for all pastors. But then he says, those who serve faithfully before God are deserving of double honor. Now, in a, in a very simplistic form, it's, well, maybe those are the ones who are supported financially by the congregation, which is absolutely, absolutely right. But double honor can mean that they deserve, you know, twice as much pay. I don't... I, I'm not advocating for twice as much pay because I don't need, okay. But what does it mean? He's possessed some difficulties. Does he get double what he got last year? Double someone else who, who did not do as well? I mean, what, what, is double honor? what does double honor mean? Double from the church down the road? Hopefully you got a big church down the road. Double, the, double, what, double what, he, what, he's, what he expected to get. Paul probably intended that the pastor is supposed to receive honor in double form through fair pay and the respect and obedience of the congregation. See, what happens sometimes is we, we, we lose perspective and we begin to see the body of Christ from our life instead of the perspective of heaven that looks down through the scripture and says, if they serve well, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. So you begin to ask questions. I'm not here to, to, to prescribe for you how to behave. But I am here just to kind of unpack these, these verses. The word work here is used in conjunction with preaching, teaching, emphasizes that the, that, that the man is giving energy and labor and working to the point of weariness. Those who work well among you, they're expending themselves, they're pouring themselves out. And um, verse 19 and, and, and verse 20, he talks about protection and the correction of the leadership. And this is really important. 
Verse 19, he just says, don't entertain an accusation of an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. You know what I know the truth is? People who just have, who have an ax to grind, who have an issue, they won't have, there won't be two or three witnesses because it's not, about, it's not really about the elder. It's not really about the bishop. You know what it's about? It's about your own issue. And you'll find some of these people who will start talking, and that's a sin because it's called gossip and slander. And they'll just mention something, and, and it'll just sort of take on a life of its own until people start thinking it's true. And it's not even, it was just made up. And he says, from heaven's perspective, when someone talks about your elders or your bishop, unless there's two or three witnesses, I would say, I cannot be a part of this conversation. I should not be a part of this conversation. On the other hand, the correction of leaders. Can leaders ever be corrected? Oh, yes. And I will tell you from all the time I've spent with your bishop and the little bit of time I've spent with your elders, these are men who humble themselves, who ask questions, who listen, who themselves are students of the Word of God. These are not men who stand up and say, I have a position, I have authority and power, and, that's, and, and, and I want everybody to recognize it. These, these, are, these are men who realize they'll give accountability, they'll give account, they're accountable to God. But how do you, how do you correct a leader? Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may, may, may be warned. Now, does everyone in the church who sins, are they rebuked publicly? No. That's not what the Word of God says. But those of us who have accepted this particular type of leadership, we are to be rebuked publicly if that is, if that is warranted, if there's two or three witnesses. So I would say this to you. This, this is how the body of Christ corrects itself and keeps itself whole and right. It's accountability. It's, it's cross accountability. It's healthy. Do not ever entertain accusations that are gossip and slander, no matter how right it seems. You wouldn't want that done to you, and you certainly don't want it done to those of you uh, who are your leaders. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians. Or rather, Hebrews, I'm sorry. Hebrews, and then we're done. Hebrews chapter 13. The truth of the matter is, and we'll speak uh, specifically to Bishop right now, the truth of the matter is, brother, it's difficult to be a pastor in America. Every pastor is consistently compared to greatest preachers in the country. We've got Christian radio, Christian TV, and now the devil's provided the Internet, and they can see all these other preachers out there. <laughs> but our, the, the Christians have the opportunity to listen to so many and so what happens is they, you know, the, these, these are people, what we don't realize sometimes is you have people who, who preach a sermon and, and those, those sermons are edited and they are cut and there's music put on the background and it is, it is packaged in a way so that it could be marketed. And when they come on Sunday, they get the unvarnished truth. I'm going to walk from over here to playing this to walking up here to preaching that. And so what happens is they, they, they see you at the door and you hear things like, well, that was very interesting, Pastor. Uh, I got this terrific tape here by, uh, I got this CD by Dr. Uh, well, so-and-so that is, well, it's kind of along the same lines that you were talking about today. I think you should listen to it, in fact. <laughs> here it is. Here it is. Pastor Smiles says, well, thank you, but inside, 
We say thank you because we learned this. <laughs> but you get the message. And there's this sense of, of reduction and esteem and, and authority. And, and you shouldn't be anybody else. You should be who God made you to be. You should study the Word of God and preach what, what the Holy Spirit gives to you and you glean out of the Word of God. You should preach that. You're not somebody else. You're no good at being somebody else. In fact, you're horrible at being somebody else. But you're very good at being you. And even if you don't like you, you're real good at being you. There's parts of every minister of the gospel that, that you like. And there's parts of every minister of the gospel you say, I need to work on that or do this a little better. I wish I could do that. And the truth of the matter is, I look at some pastors out there and I wonder, how do they do it? How do they do it? And then I realize, it doesn't matter how they do it. It matters about my obedience to God. It matters about your obedience to God. It doesn't, we need to learn from them. But we need to be who we are. The same with the elders. You need to be who you are. Why? Because the accountability, your accountability, our accountability is, gonna, is, is to him. And, and make no mistake, he is going to hold us accountable. He is. Now, he's a gracious God, but he's going to hold us accountable. And he knew what he was doing putting you in the leadership. He knew. And he's going to see you through. There's four action items that I want you to, to write down here. Basically, they're four action words. Remember, follow, obey, submit. Number one, you should remember your leaders. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken God's word to you, whose faith uh, you follow, considering the outcome of the conduct. Church, you, before you believe someone's teaching, I don't care how fancy it is, take a look at their life. Now, you know that I, many of you know that I was in a ministry here for 22 and a half years. I resigned from that. God, over the past seven, eight months, is, uh, we've been praying about what we should do. And in the past uh, couple of months, we decided to start another church in Central Florida. How, why could we stay here? My family could stay here because, because people know my family. We don't have to run and hide. We don't have to leave Central Florida. Some, some fellas uh, resigned from ministry. They, they should leave. They should leave and hope people don't Google them. I didn't have to leave. Why? Because I love my wife and she loves me. Because I have high standards when it comes to handling the money of the church. Uh, and, and, and because I have nothing uh, uh, to, to hide, n nothing at all. Nothing. And that is why whenever church, you, you should know the outcome of a man's life before you follow what they tell you. You look at their life, and it's not, it's not a bad thing to look at their life. You look at their life, but you know their life. And that is, a, that is such a, a powerful passage because I get weary with people who read an author and say, oh, and I say, do they know? Do they know about this woman? Do they know about the man? Or you hear some sermon, you go, I was inspired by God. Really? Do you know what's going on behind the scenes? In other words, know the person that's teaching you. What's the outcome of their life? Is what they're telling you, does it work for them? And if it does, keep in step. That's number one. Second, imitate their faith. The remembrances of those who have been mentors to us in the faith 
is not just simply put in a nostalgic mood where we say, oh, I remember, I remember Bishop Quinones. That man, he, he has such an impact on my life. The elders, I just, I really had such, instead it means that we focus on considering the outcome of their conduct. The word follow actually is from the word we get mimic. When he says follow, the Greek word that's used there, we eventually get the word mimic from. In other words, when you look at somebody and you like the outcome of their life, you, imi- you mimic them. Until it becomes second nature. What I have done is I have, I have men that I, that I admire. I admire the outcome of their life, the humility of their life, what God has done to them. And yet, I know them, and I know, the, I know their families. And so I watch them, and I, and I ask, well, how would they address this problem? How would they move? And you mimic them. That's for, true for all of us. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Number, number three, obey your leaders. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. Say amen on that. Amen. For that would be unprofitable for you. I'm thinking about getting a, getting a little card that just has Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 on it. Don't give me grief is kind of what it's going to say. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the word of God. <laughs> the simple truth and when I see those, those draining people coming towards me, oh, praise God, I got a card right here for you. <laughs> don't give me grief. There you go. The simple truth is that we don't, we don't much care for people ruling over us. We often find the whole idea of being under authority just a little offensive, especially in our, in our country where I, I have rights. I, I have rights. The word translated obey is not blind obedience. It's obedience after careful and thoughtful consideration. You're, you're not puppets. You're intelligent thinking children of God. Listen to what is being said. It doesn't mean unqualified blanket obedience. Well, you know, pastor said be there seven. I guess I'd be there seven. He said do this or said do that. But it's, the, it's, it's, not, the, it's not that we just obey and we blindly follow. What it does say is that when a servant of God is in the will of God, teaching the word of God, the people of God should submit and obey. Number four, submit to your leaders. It says, be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. The word submission can be better understood when it's taken apart. The word sub means under, so like a submarine means underwater. The word mission means purpose or goal. So the submission means to place myself under or yield to a stated purpose or mission. Submission means I bring myself under the authority of the mission of God. I will close with these words. I did wonder this morning, what will it take to do another service like this? I did. You can only fit so many people in a, in a space. And you know, your church has a, church congregations will talk about they have a vision. But I don't know if we have a vision so much as God's vision has a church. We talk about our mission. No, God has a mission. And His mission has a church. And I'm looking at the church. I would like for, if you would, for the uh, leaders here, the elders and bishop, if y'all would stand, I would like to pray for you as I end this particular message. If you would just stand.
where you are. If there are those who are around you who would like to put hands, I don't know if you guys put hands on, lay hands on, on them, that would be fine. And I would invite the whole congregation to stand with me, please. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have given us perspective and reminded us that we are the body of Christ. We're the church. We stand here, Father, to honor Jesus Christ and to lift him up. We believe that you have put and ordained uh, leaders uh, in your congregations and that, that there is a way we ought to behave. We're begging you, Father, give us a perspective and give us a desire to be this, this sort of church that, that you want us to be. Father, I pray for the elders of Faith Dome. I pray, Father, that you will so lift up and strengthen their hearts. I pray that their marriages can be strong, that they can be men who, who wrestle at home with, with, with just, just being followers of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, you will bless the work of their hands in their homes as they lead, in their work and on the workplace as they lead, and here in this congregation as they shepherd the very souls you have entrusted to them. For Bishop, I pray, Father, a special blessing because I pray, Father, you will lift up his vision that you allow people to, to come around him, not to, to, to mimic him, to imitate the way he lives his life. Father, as he gets into your word, I know he loves your word. He loves to know what it is that you would have him to feed to this congregation. I pray, Father, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would so fill him up that he would have the very words to speak. And when they are spoken, that the congregation would realize these are the words of God from the Word of God. Father, we thank you for those who stand as leaders among us. And now I pray for all of those who lead among this congregation in and through in whatever shape, form, or fashion they might lead. Father, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, help us to lead in a way that is honoring to you and honoring to you only. The mission that we have is your mission. We are so glad to be part of your mission. We are so glad that to be part of your vision and what you envisioned. Father, I pray that you would be honored, lifted up, and glorified today and every day amongst these people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.